Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, back at home in my luxurious Naugahyde just corner booth. It's just so beautiful to be here. And and I'm joined by Tom Dorian yes, and sir. Sam Rodriguez. Guys, welcome. Good, I'm, good to have you back. Oh, man, thanks. I, great trip to Lourdes. Wonderful, beautiful pilgrimage with the Order of Malta. A lot of great shows we did there. But it's kind of good to be back home. Heck, yeah. It's good I, to have you home. Yeah, I know. And I, it's like, and uh, although I, I love the fresh croissant every morning, <laughs> but uh, I'm kind of sick of croissant. <laughs> I'm kind of sick of people that talk, honk, 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 you know, all that yeah. kind of talk, and I just can't do it. Do they have croissant with gravy there or no? <laughs> no, there's not much gravy. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, that sounds good. <laughs> you're a man after my heart. <laughs> Put a little gravy on that croissant. Uh, anyway, so uh, anyway, wonderful spiritual pilgrimage. It, it was just it was filled with grace uh, and really joy and happiness. And so I come back and like I want to do a show that is unhappy, <laughs> and uh, and it's just going to be kind of a challenging show we're going to do today, guys. It's just like one of those things where it's like I just every once in a while feel. Move to kind of say, hey, what are we really saying? What are we really doing in life? And and um, I'll give you the context of this. I was in a car uh, driving along with a guy about oh, maybe 15, 18 years ago, sitting in a car with him. We were just talking, a couple of regular guys. And uh, I wasn't a deacon at the time, but I was kind of informed in the church a little bit. And we were chatting about, we ended up chatting about birth control and abortion. And then the conversation went to Planned Parenthood a little bit. And and then to Margaret Sanger. And and he said something that kind of like just, it stunned me. He said, you know, I don't know what everyone's all up in arms about Margaret Sanger for. Because really, she's just a nice lady who was just, she was just trying to help poor girls. She's just trying to help out women that needed help. And uh, and I, I just kind of, like a mouth kind of went open. And I don't know if you, have you guys ever been in a situation where you're like, like someone says something and you really just are not armed with what you need to like reply with absolutely for sure yeah so it's like so it's like you know when you when you get um um where you get this thing thrown at you you're like going man there's like that's that's obviously wrong but i don't know what to tell you (laughs) this is is before the smartphone i take that's exactly right i couldn't just sit there and google in the car and say you know um i know they had google maybe 15 years ago or whatever but but it wasn't the same it just uh, and now, uh, you know, you can Google something. In fact, I, what brought this memory up of mm-hmm. me riding the car was I happened to be um, cruising the interwebs, uh, and I saw this thing from Church Pop. Now, if you don't know what Church Pop is, it's a it's a cool little – they're a site, but also like a little blog, and they, 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 they tweet out and whatever, these cool things. They're part of the EWTN network, and they've got some really cool uh, – it's a little blog kind of a deal. And uh, – and and there there was one titled Twenty One Chilling Quotes from Margaret Sanger that Planned Parenthood doesn't want you to know about," and I thought, man, I wish I'd had this. I wish I'd had this when I was sitting there with the guy. They are chilling, by the way. There are some chilling things in here, mm-hmm. and 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 so what I wanted to do is I wanted to spend some time um, talking about Margaret Sanger, and the reason why I want to do that, um, Tom, is is because. Don't you think that a lot of times we just buy into slogans or we buy into political parties or we buy into movements and just assume that everything that it's 
all the time. It's all it, that it, everything is. It's like it must be good because it's right. you know comes from this this newspaper source or from exactly this, right. And we and we don't research ourselves. Nope. We don't stop. And so I think this guy in the car probably bought into. Well, someone told him that Margaret Sanger was just a nice old lady that was yeah. just trying to help people. Yeah, she was well-meaning, whatever. Right, and I, she might have been well-meaning, but ooh, there's some scary yeah. stuff in here that I, I wanted to just read through some of these quotes uh, and, uh, and, and just get you guys' reaction about this. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about, like, well, what would a Catholic, what should a Catholic say? Mm-hmm. Um, so here's one. The most serious evil of our times is that of encouraging and bringing into the world of large families. The most immoral practice of the day is breeding too many children. The most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Now, man, that's just some <laughs> harsh. Now, that was written in 1920. Uh, she wrote that in this uh, some kind of a booklet or pamphlet called Woman and the New Race. Uh, and uh, there was one chapter called The Wickedness of Creating Large Families. Tom, I think you and I were actually mentioned in that chapter. I was going to say, you know, the most evil guy here then is you. <laughs> yes, me. I am an evil guy, apparently, according to Margaret Sanger. And now, I hope she doesn't mean that she wants, you know, you to go home right now if, and, and just start killing your children. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I hope that she was being some rhetorical or hyperbole, hyperbole or, or something mm-hmm. just to kind of make a point. But even so, it sounds like she doesn't want to have lots pretty, of kids. Pretty brutal regardless. Yeah. And so, so someone who values that who values her, well, they then we need to look at what she says. Yeah. Right, here's another one she says. Now, she said this in a TV interview with Mike Wallace in 1957. Mm-hmm. She said, I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents, that have no chance in the world to be a human being practically, delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just marked when they're born. That, to me, is the greatest sin that people can commit. And that's... That's terrible. I mean, if we stop and think about that, I mean, essentially what she's saying is that, well, first of all, you shouldn't have large families. But if you've got, um, if you've got parents with whatever disease, now, I don't know if she specifically means a physical ailment, right, a physical disease, or the disease of poverty or of, of lack of education, that these would be diseases, right? And, and she doesn't want that you know, and so what she basically says is, your children are marked to be delinquents and prisoners mm-hmm. just from their very birth. Right. But there's no hope whatsoever for personal transformation, and and that that right there. I mean, again, a Catholic should look at what she said there, and and then basically go, wait a second. But I thought God loved everyone. That God that that every single human being has an innate dignity a human dignity afforded them by god that we're supposed to recognize in each and every person and, and and certainly we're all made in his image and likeness right all of us not just the rich not just those who are born on a certain side of the tracks or of a certain color race language land what whatever but but all of us are i agree and in fact i think what it comes down to deacon jeff is hope and we look at this quote here and talking about how uh, it's it's the greatest sin for parents to bring into the world children that have diseases, uh, inherited diseases, children that have no chance in the world to be a human being, practically delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things. It's a uh, there's a, a despair that covers that, and I think ultimately, I don't think any of us want to 
be in a state of despair. I think each one of us want to look upon every single human being with hope. And I think that if I can't come up with a, a definition of dignity, of human dignity that applies just to me. If I have dignity, basic human dignity, then I also have to stand up for the human dignity of every other person as well. Right, and but, <laughs> but and, and a lot of that is be, really because you know that there is potential in each human being to be bettered. Yes. Right, and if you and if you don't have uh, that hope, if you don't, and, and if you believe what Margaret Sanger believes, she says statistically. You have no chance. Mm-hmm. So it's better off if you're just not here, right? Ultimately, which is a very dismal view, but even more than just being a dismal view, it starts to get a little scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some Big Brother stuff going on. And again, I, I don't know that she advocated all this stuff, but she had some ideas that are just, to me, I look at them now and I go, they're, they're really nuts. But basically, she said, uh, uh, she, 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 wanted, she said in an article in 1934, she says, America needs a code for babies. That was the title of this thing. It had different little articles, and maybe these were her, her codes for having babies. But one of them was like, a marriage license shall in itself give husband and wife only the right to a common household and not the right to parenthood. So she's taking away the right to parenthood, right? Mm-hmm. She would, she would, she would uh, value, she would propose to take away that right. That doesn't sound like freedom and autonomy. Oh, no, no, exactly. No freedom and no autonomy and self-determination, right? And she also, so in uh, so her fourth article in that little thing is, no woman shall have the legal right to bear a child and no man shall have the right to become a father without a permit for parenthood. I mean, this sounds like I've got to go down to the state control office and get my permit for the child. Get their permission. Right. And then she goes further in the next article, six, uh, in, in that same America Needs a Code for Babies. No permit for parenthood shall be valid for more than one birth. So it's like this whole idea um, of you you don't get to determine what you are going to do. And it's certainly not even between you and God. Right? There's, there, there, there's, there's no, um, regardless, I don't think she'd even... In, I don't know, and value God's revealed opinion about life and liberty and um, uh, just the grace and mercy and love that's, that abounds, she doesn't care about that based on her writings. It's, there's some kind of state-controlled thing, and you start to think, like, well, what? Where does this, where does this take us, mm-hmm. right? And, and uh, now certainly she was focused a lot on birth control. Right, and birth control for her was that was the big deal, mm-hmm. and and that I don't know that she's talked so much about abortion, I, but I know she specifically spoke about birth control, and she she said as an advocate of birth control, I wish to take advantage of the present opportunity to point out that the unbalance between the birth rate of the unfit and the fit, admittedly the greatest present menace to civilization, can never be rectified by the inauguration of a cradle competition between these two classes. In other words. You know, we're we're not going to outbirth them. That we're not going to fix things that way. So it's better if we stop the unfit from having babies, right? That's the only way to solve all these menacing problems of the times. And that's that in and of itself is a is a scary thought. Mm-hmm. And what are the chances that the unfit have any sort of p- real political voice? Oh, I I wholeheartedly agree. And you're right to think that, Sam, because it's like obviously they don't. Right, but they're the loud, clamoring masses that she detests. Right, uh, and so I, I think um, some of these quotes should like haunt us a little bit. 
Uh, and there's more. I want to read some more from Margaret Sanger to help us understand f- more fully who she was and, and what she did. But uh, before we do that, we're going to take a break. And before we do that, I want to remind folks at home we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Uh, and uh, also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Just imagine what it would have been like to sit at the feet of one of the twelve and hear the gospel proclaimed firsthand from someone who saw, touched, walked, and talked with the Lord Jesus himself. This is just what St. Polycarp did as a student of St. John, the last of the beloved apostles to die. St. Polycarp was Bishop of Smyrna and a very holy man. As a member of the second generation of church leaders, he faced many new challenges, challenges even the original twelve apostles did not face. There were many early heresies, challenges to the truth of Christ and the authority of the church. But above all, St. Polycarp was a man of God, and he faced these challenges head-on his entire life. He was a beacon of truth for the early church, the heretic Marcion, who taught error about the nature, existence, and relationship of good and evil, matter and spirit, challenged St. Polycarp, demanding he recognize his heretical sect. Recognize us, Polycarp, he demanded. St. Polycarp responded, I recognize you, yes, I recognize the son of Satan. St. Polycarp was to give his life in service to the church, just as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A very early document, The Martyrdom of Polycarp, tells the heroic story of his death. When in his 80s, St. Polycarp was arrested, He was offered the opportunity to save his own life if he would simply swear his allegiance to Caesar. To this request, St. Polycarp answered, If you imagine that I will swear by Caesar, you do not know who I am. Let me tell you plainly, I am a Christian. It was ordered that St. Polycarp be burned at the stake. As the fire was lit, witnesses heard a long and beautiful prayer uttered from the mouth of the saint. In part, they heard, Lord God Almighty, I bless you for having made me worthy of this day and this hour. I bless you because I may have a part, along with the martyrs, in the chalice of your Christ. As St. Polycarp said amen, his captor stoked the fire. But it is reported that the fire did not burn him. It miraculously formed an arch around him, causing him to resemble what the martyrdom document says was gold and silver glowing in a furnace. They finally had to stab him to death. St. Polycarp's feast day is February 23rd. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here talking with Tom Dorian, and Sam Rodriguez, my friends. And uh, we're talking about a difficult topic. We're talking about Margaret Sanger and some of her actual words and uh, really the sort of the heart at the uh, the roots, I guess, of the uh, sort of abortion and contraception movement. And a lot of people don't even realize that. And then what profound effect it has like on on society at large and nations and things that happen. Oh, yes. Um, 
you know, we can say that these are completely outmoded ideas, but the fact is they still have um, influence. And in fact, in Iceland, for example, uh, they've got world historical lows on Down syndrome. Right. Uh, but it's because of abortion being the quote solution during by when they when when Down syndrome children are. Uh, are screened as such, right? During the uh, you know, and that's pregnancy. that's and that's an interesting point because if you if you I, I, I remember seeing some of the uh, the headlines and the headlines would say essentially that um, that that they had alleviated yes. the the scourge of Down syndrome, right? They'd, and someone would say like, well, if if I could take a pill and my child will not have Down syndrome, would that be a good thing? And the, and the answer is. Probably yes, right? Medically, you'd look at that and go like, well, we can cure diseases or conditions or certainly um, things like this. Uh, and, and that's a good thing, a good use of medical science. But their answer and their cure, quote unquote, is essentially killing the child. Yes. Well, that's not curing it. It's just making it not exist as much because you've killed the child. And and th- that that's where it starts to get really, really harsh when you start thinking about that because someone would say like, well, I, I you know, I, I understand that, um, you know, these we're talking about real people and it's very sad and everything, but um, we really should, you know, we, we don't want to bring those kind of kids into into a world, and it's like it's even worse than that because if you look at Margaret Sanger's belief system, she would believe that that you need to to, to weed that out of um, uh, out of society in its entirety because of its because of the weaknesses right and 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 the problems and so she's essentially what i see in all this is she's setting herself up as a judge and jury mm-hmm. and 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 that's the thing it's like because when you start to hear some of these things that she says um it, it becomes no longer just like someone's opinion it's like someone's got to decide who's worthless and who's not worthless it's right? not judge and jury it's god oh exactly they're playing god right uh, I was going to say she in in this uh, 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 in 1923 in something called the highlights in the history of birth control, she uh, she said these two words birth control sum up our whole philosophy. It means the release and cultivation of the better elements in our society and the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extinction of defective stocks, those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. Now again, I'm not going to just presume that she thinks that that certain races or certain ethnic groups or certain financially depra- deprived people, um, you know, are the defective stocks, and that she's calling them weeds. But someone's got to be the weeds, and I'm not sure exactly who she's calling a weed. But this is why it's important, I think, for people to understand what she thought and what she believed, and I w- why I wish I had these quotes in front of me when my friend. Who was saying like, well, she just wants to help people? It's like, no, she doesn't. She wants to select which people are worth keeping mm-hmm. and which are not. Right, right, and and that in and of itself is extremely scary. It's evil, right? You start to think about like, uh, you know, the, the the what what Adolf Hitler was trying to do, and you know, all this stuff happened. You know, the nineteen twenties, the nineteen thirties. This is when fascism when when adolf hitler was was taking power right and so all this stuff about eugenics and the the master race you know the master race that hitler wanted to create i think is the ultimate extreme of of following a path of eugenics right that you might be able to look at a eugenics thing as a scientific model and say well it just means that you're going to 
make sure that you get the best possible end result Mm -hmm. in terms of children. And you think, well, that can be innocent, right? Except when you take anything like that to its extreme where you, as Tom, you rightly, rightfully point out, when you play God, right? Right. When you take God out of the mix and you decide these things, well, now you're getting ready to fall into a, a, a terrible trap, mm-hmm. right? And the modern, the modern folks, the mantras that are getting shouted out, you know, um, you wonder, like, now this, this thing from Church Pop was titled um, 21 Chilling Quotes from Margaret Sanger that Planned Parenthood doesn't want you to know about. They, they don't deny the existence of, and they'll downplay a lot of these and say they're taken out of context, and some of them might be. And so I invite you to look and see what context they're in, and in what context could they ever possibly be good. Right, but there's lots of other quotes online. I, I found this other one uh, here that is is real problematic, and, and, and this is not one that um, that uh, it came from. It didn't come from the church pop one, but this was like on a website that was was trying to paint a positive picture of Margaret Sanger. And this is what it says: It says everywhere we look, we see poverty and large families going hand in hand. We see hordes of children whose parents cannot feed, clothe, or educate even one half of the number born to them. We see sick, harassed, broken mothers whose health and nerves cannot bear the strain of further childbearing. We see fathers growing despondent and desperate because their labor cannot bring the necessary wage to keep their growing families. We see that those parents who are least fit to reproduce the race are having the largest number of children, while people of wealth, leisure, and education are having small families. And this is what she wrote in an article called The Case for Birth Control in a magazine called Woman Citizen, volume number eight, February 1924. And so when I see that, I, I realize that there's like a, a, real, a real problem here with, with um, self-determination. With, I mean, obviously she, has not, she never visited Tom Dorian's family on game night. Right. Or my family. I mean, chaos. Yeah, it's chaos, but it's a, it's it's a happy, fun chaos. Oh, totally. Right, and I've always been able to feed my kids. I've got nine kids. Yeah, and so based on what she says, I I can't feed half of them. Right, and my wife is like walking around pulling her hair out, and I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't feed all these starving children. Can't educate them. Right, so she paints this broad brush against large families, and I think the devastating thing there is people kind of buy into it as like, well, she just doesn't want unhappiness. Mm-hmm. But what she paints as unhappy is not even truly, effectively unhappy. Right. I mean, I guess the only good news in all this is that a woman like Margaret Sanger would have a few, only a few children or whatever, because at least she'll kind of like go into oblivion, right? <laughs> she won't carry on her, 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 her views if she feeds those into her children. But I wouldn't even, I mean, my Catholic teaching says I can't wish that she wouldn't have children, and I shouldn't, because even those children would have the opportunity to be redeemed, right? Right. And so I would say, you know what, Margaret? I don't agree with anything you say, but you need to have kids. Mm-hmm. You need to be open to God's plan for you, right? And then give them each of them the opportunity to to self-determine, right? To, to, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and then to, to figure out what God is calling them to be. And that's if that's to be a mother or a father, then to pursue that. That's right. That's 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 the difficult part of all this. And there was a, there was another quote which I couldn't find the source for, but it it helped me to understand what a lot of modern feminists are thinking, and what you hear the mantras. It's always about keep your rosaries off my ovaries, or, or you know, <laughs> right? Don't don't. This is my body, my choice, etc. 
Um, and she she said this, woman must have her freedom, the fundamental freedom of choosing whether or not she will be a mother and how many children she will have, regardless of what man's attitude may be. That problem is hers. And before it can be his, it is hers alone. She goes through the veil of death alone each time a babe is born, as it is the right neither of man nor the state to coerce her into this ordeal. So it is her right to decide whether she will endure it. Now, again, I'll agree in self-determination. That's an important thing. And you should decide whether God's calling you to have a child. But what she's setting up here is uh, men have no say in this. Right. Right, and that is that is destructive of marriage. It's destructive of what God called us to be, husband and wife, and that we there were two equal parts in a marriage and termination. I mean, this is a lot of stuff, and it just seems like a lot of stuff thrown at the people who are listening. But they've got to understand that 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 God loves every single human being mm-hmm. in whatever state and, and in whatever stage of their existence, and that we have to recognize that we have to lift that up, and we can't follow down some kind of mantra or follow down some kind of uh, uh, political slogan without investigating what, what's at the root. Mm-hmm. You know, and you might think like, well, what has Margaret Sanger got going on in the world that no one cares about her? It's like, well, if you go to Margaret Sanger Center of New York, New York, you know, it's operated by Planned Parenthood of New York City. So Planned Parenthood thinks that Margaret Sanger's ideology, that her that her agenda is something of value. They may not agree 100%, but they named a big building after her. Right? And those are the things that we need to be aware of um, as, as conscientious citizens in the world before we start raising our fists in the air and protesting and marching. What are we actually standing for mm-hmm. and what's at the root mm-hmm. of that? I agree. That stuff's kind of scary, isn't it? Well, absolutely. And I think ultimately uh, what's up to us as Catholics to do as well as to witness, live by, live a life that witness witnesses an authentic valuing of each human person mm. um, and to receive each person with dignity and with love and with compassion, including, of course, women who are dealing with uh, unwanted pregnancies and knowing that a lot of them have very difficult situations. Absolutely. And, I, and we have to commiserate with that. We understand. And that's why we have a lot of pro-life agencies that are there to help women in those difficult situations. Right? So we, we, there, there are answers to those things. Absolutely. And I think that we're always called to, to greater love at each moment of our life. And I think the more we increase our love, uh, the, the, the more that this message of life and this culture of life will blossom. And... You know, we all have a mother, and that's that mother is Mary. And so mm-hmm. we can also, as the patroness of mothers, we can we can ask for her intercession in all of this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta, Federal Association, and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from the Most Reverend Martin D. Holly, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.